you have your Bible today, we're going to be looking at Genesis 9, 10, and 11. <laughs> so let me pray. I'm not going to read that all to you right this minute. Father, I pray now that as we gather and we begin to uh, continue this conversation about race, ethnicity, and mission, um, that your spirit would attend our time. Your spirit, I pray, would bring conviction. I pray your spirit would bring sorrow that leads to repentance. I pray that your spirit would bring encouragement. I also pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're visiting, this is your first time. We're in part three of about a 15-part series on the topic of race, ethnicity, and missions. And part of the reason we do, we're doing this is not just because, you know, all of the, the stuff in the media, the George Floyd stuff, which that is part of it. Part of it is the fact that our community is 60% minority. It's 60% from the nations. And I feel like it would be responsible for us to start talking about that more. And so if you remember, when I started this series, I began in the book of Revelation, actually, and painted this picture of where everything is headed. So in, in other words, at the very end of history, where every human being is headed, at least human, every human being that has put their faith in Christ, is to be standing around the throne with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's where it's headed, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and remember I said you can either facilitate that, or you can fight it, but at the end of the day, that's what's going to, to happen. And when I, every time I say that, it always reminds me of my dog. Many of you know we got a dog. It's cute, right? Don't nod so fast. Cairn Terrier, which Cairn Terriers are, are actually um, a combination of teddy bear and honey badger. And you know what they say about honey badgers? Just don't care. And so they're incredibly stubborn. They're incredibly hard to train, which is a great testimony because if you came to our house, my wife could look at that dog and say, bed, whiskey. That happens to be his name, Bed Whiskey, and he'll trot over and get in his bed. She'll say, Crate Whiskey, and Whiskey will run and get in his crate. Sit, sit, down, down. Me, I'm in charge of walking. Come on, Whiskey, come on, right? <laughs> I mean, the other day I was trying to walk him. I was, we were going across wet grass, and I looked behind me, and he was actually laying on his back. I was dragging him. <laughs> he is completely, he fights it every time I try and take him for a walk. But here's the thing. He's only seven pounds. So guess who wins 100% of the time? In the death journey from point A to point B, whiskey will end up at point B, whether he fights me or whether he works with me. We have a lot more fun when he works with me. Right? Church would be a lot more fun, <laughs> I think, if we tried to facilitate what God did instead of fight against it. This morning, I'm going to start with a question that's going to seem like an odd question, or maybe not. Um, a lot of people are asking it lately, and the question is this, where did we get races from in the first place? In other words, from, from where do races come? Why are there black people and white people and brown people that, that are all these different races, and, and how do we get them? And the short answer, at least according to science, for those of us who are concerned about science, is we don't. There aren't, there aren't races. Did you know that? I looked it up this week, <laughs> and I was surprised. Let me read you what I found. Uh, the University of California at Santa Barbara has this uh, 
message board, it's called like Science Line. So if you have any scientific question, you can write it, and one of their PhDs will answer it. And so someone wrote this question, why did people evolve into different races? And this is the summary of a long answer, but the professor said, in brief, I would answer your question by saying that populations of humans have evolved traits that make them suited to their environment, but we have not evolved into different races or even different subspecies. Rather, each human is a different expression of the same set of genes with some expressions more common based on geographical location. Okay? So, so there aren't different races. There are people with different gene expressions based on where their ancestors came from. That's pretty important, don't you think? <laughs> it's important because if you remember we talked about in the past few weeks that some of the ways, some of the reasons that people have historically subjugated um, either black people or, or Native Americans is by basically saying, well, they're not as human as me. They're, they're, they're subhuman. And at least according to science, no one is. We're all the same. And so if that's the case, it might be better to, to ask the question, instead of why did people evolve into different races, is how did people get to the different locations that would cause their genes to express differently? In other words, how did the world get populated in such a way that some people needed to be darker and some people needed to be lighter? And that question is answered, in, among other places, in the Bible. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, where the nations came from. Not where do we get races, but where did the nations and tribes come from. And the Bible says that ultimately those came from Noah and his three sons. Okay, let me read to you chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. This is right after the flood. And it says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark, who came out, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That's an important fact. Keep that in mind. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth, from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. And if you look at a few years in the ESV on the bottom, it says, or from these the whole earth was populated. Okay? Now, whether you believe that the whole earth was populated by three people or, or whether you believe the flood was universal, for this sermon, that, we're not going to argue about that. We're going to talk about what the Bible says, what Israel believed, what ultimately we believe. And so... We're basically going to look at Genesis 9. We just talked about that for a second. We're going to look at Genesis 10 because right after Genesis 9, where you have these three brothers come from the ark, then you have Genesis 10, which is this long list of nations. And it's, it's actually a perfect number. It's the number 70. Remember in the Bible we've talked about, there's these, there are these perfect numbers. There's three is one of them, and 12 is one of them, 7 is one of them, 144 is one of them, 70 is one of them. But also the nations that are listed here are the nations that would have been of particular interest to Israel. Remember, Moses is writing the book of Genesis to Israel to convince them to leave Egypt and to enter the promised land. And the nations listed here are the nations that they're going to be rubbing elbows with. So that's important. Most scholars, whether they're liberal or conservative, don't believe that this is even intended to be an exhaustive list of the nations. And you go from Genesis 10, this list of the nations, to Genesis 11, how that came about. In other words, the, the chronology is, should be Genesis 11, then Genesis 10. But, but the author wants us to, first he wants to say, here's all the nations there are, now let me tell you how they happened. In other words, here's the table of nations, and there's the Tower of Babel. And in the middle of it, you're going to see this guy named Nimrod, 
who Nimrod was, was crucial to the Tower of Babel. So with all of that said, um, we're going to look at these two things. We're going to look at the Table of Nations. We're going to look at the Tower of Babel. And as we're going along, one thing to keep in mind, that when you read these stories from, from Genesis, not that they're not true, right? I don't want to give you any kind of impression that I believe they're not true, but what you want to get behind, get, get to is the intention. Most of these stories are about theology rather than biology. That, that, remember when I said, it, it wouldn't, he said, these are the sons that went forth from the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, uh, Canaan was the son of Ham. Now, why would he say that? It's because of theology, because Canaan was going to be the, the, the big uh, enemy of Israel, and he wanted to know where they came from. Okay, so let's look first at the table of nations. And this is where it gets... Uh, let, me, let me start by saying this. When I was studying this week, and you read these commentators on the table of nations, every commentator says... Here's all the information on the table of nations, but for God's sake, don't try and preach it. <laughs> and so, of course, I'm like, challenge accepted. Hold my beer, Samuel. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, <laughs> but if you remember, basically the whole thing starts Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. God looked down. He saw that every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. And it said it made him sorry in his heart. And he decided that he was going to blot out humanity and it says right after that but noah found favor with god okay so it, it doesn't say that Noah was was a good guy and therefore god saved him it says noah found favor with god and so god puts noah his wife his three sons and their wives on the ark and they spend a year locked down on the ark right we complain about covid imagine being locked down for a year on an ark with a zoo now, if it was me, sometimes I think I'd rather be a year on an ark in a zoo than have to wear a mask everywhere, but that's just me, <laughs> right? So maybe it wasn't so bad. Either way, they come, they land, the ark finally lands, they get off of the ark, and the story is really compressed, so it probably took longer than this, but basically they get off of the ark and Noah's like, I need a drink. He does. <laughs> he gets drunk and he falls asleep, and one of his sons, Ham, does something to him that is, that, that is horrible, apparently. And the way that the euphemism the Bible says is that he saw the nakedness of his father. Now, people argue about what that means. Most people think it means something like he saw the nakedness that belonged to his father. In other words, he did something unseemly actually to or with his mother. And because of that, Noah wakes up and Ham has told his brothers. The brothers rat out Ham and Noah then curses Ham. And he curses Ham and he blesses his brothers. And let me read that to you. Verse 24 of chapter 9 says, When Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So he wakes up, he curses Canaan. That's important. He curses Canaan, not Ham. And he blesses the other two. And the curse of Canaan was basically had to do with slavery. And so this is a point in the sermon where I feel like I've got to take a side note. Right? We're going to talk about race and ethnicity and mission. We're going to talk about things like racism this that passage where Cain, ham 
Canaan was cursed through Ham or because of Ham's sin is historically one of the passages that people have used to justify slavery. Simple, I mean, it's just as simple as that. How does the argument go? Well, the argument goes like this, that Ham in Egyptian is, means black, which they wouldn't have even known Egyptians yet, but that's beside the point. Ham in Egyptian means black, or Ham wasn't blessed. In other words, Noah blessed his others, and they didn't bless Ham, so he might as well have cursed them. So everyone who comes from Ham gets the same curse, even though he very specifically said Canaan. And so Ham's children are cursed. Ham's descendants ended up in Africa, and therefore Africans are cursed with slavery. So if you happen to be African and you happen to be in slavery, sorry, blame Ham. Right? And, and here's how ba- ubiquitous that is. This is the most popular commentary in the world on the book of Genesis. It's written by a guy, which many of you know, named A.W. Pink. And here's what he says about that curse. I'm going to read you the end of it, because the whole thing... By the way, this is the part of, of the sermon where every now and then my wife thinks, oh boy, he's, getting, he's, he's going to cuss this time. <laughs> I'm not going to, I promise. I, I won't promise, but I'm not. He says, the whole of Africa was peopled by the descendants of Ham. And for many centuries, the greater part of the continent lay under dominion of Romans, Saracens, and Turks. And as is well known for the Negroes, who were for so long slaves of Europeans and Americans, also claim Ham as their progenitor. What the hell? Right? Like, in other words, why did he say that? What, What point was he trying to make? I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not going to cuss. I mean, maybe hell's cuss, I guess. But the, 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 point, the reason I'm pointing that out is A.W. Pink is one of the, He is actually a very smart man, and he's a very good Bible expositor. But even the best of us can be informed by our prejudices. The best of us can just assume the worst of other people. The best of us can assume that is happening to that race because of that thing, and, it has, and it, when it has nothing to do with it. By the way, that, that commentary is still in print. It was written in 1922, and you could say, oh, well, maybe in 1922 they believed stupid things. It wasn't that far from slavery. It's still in print, and people still praise it. I can't use it anymore. It's like soil for me. And why do I bring that up? It's because we tend to think, especially if you're from a primarily white background, we just don't think about those things. We read right over that and don't think about it. Now, imagine if you were affected by that. It becomes very important. And if you are going to be a part of a church that has people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we just need to be sensitized to that. Okay? So what's actually is going on here is that it's completely bogus twisting of the text to say that. It was a curse upon Canaan. Some people think that actually Canaan committed the sin and Ham was just taking responsibility for him. But if you're Israel, this would actually be an encouragement to you. Why? Because God has said, leave Egypt and take land from Canaan. And you'd say, well, what did they ever do? And you could read this and say, well, they have been cursed. And they not only were they cursed, but they were idolaters and they burned their children in the fire. They did all of these things. They weren't innocent people. But theologically speaking, it is just one more rationale for Israel to move forward and take the land that God has promised them. So you go from that, you, you talk about that, and then you enter the table of nations. And one of the things the table of nations does is it helps Israel understand all these people, ultimately, who would be thorns in their side. 
Like, where did these people come from? <laughs> you can just imagine. Like, where did these people come from? Why did they hate us? And you notice one of the people that are not mentioned in the table of nations is Israel itself. That's an important theological point. When, when, the, when the nations were dividing, Israel wasn't part of that. In fact, in the future, we'll see how Israel was formed from that. So let's look quickly at the table. And I'm not going to read the whole table because I think the commentators are right. It could get boring. But let's talk. It says, verse 1 and 2, it says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And it says the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, etc. And verse 5, From these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and in their nations. And so where did the sons of Japheth end up going? They ended up going north and west. In other words, they ended up being uh, European. They ended up being Greek. And so, so where did they come from? If you're, if you're from European, Greek, descent from Japheth. And then the next one mentioned, of course, is Ham. And look at son, verse 6, it says the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. This is important because Cush is ultimately father of Babylon, then you have Egypt, Put is Libya, and then you have Canaan. All the, the four sons of Ham, all of them, would be significant enemies of Israel. So that, that, that would pique their interest, okay? And then verse 8 says, The Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty, mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. From that he went to Assyria, Nineveh, Reboth, Ir, Kailah, and so forth. And then you have Egypt mentioned. You have Kashulam mentioned. You have all these things mentioned. Verse 20, These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So basically, the sons of Ham went to the south and to the west. They were, some of them were Arabian. Most of them ended up being African. Okay? And Canaanites. And in other words, anything, when you're reading through the Bible and you're like, it says Girgashites, you know, Hittites, anything with an ite on it is Canaanite. And for Israel, that would have been a red flag at least. They would have been enemies at worst. And what, why I spent some time with Nimrod in there, because Nimrod is ultimately the founder of uh, Babel. Nimrod, it says that Nimrod, Cush fathered Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. And basically Nimrod was the first tyrant, if you will. He was, the, he was the first one who wanted sort of one world government. And the best way to get one world government is to get everyone in one place and to control everybody. And just as a side trivia, if you didn't watch my update this week, Nimrod is, was used by Bugs Bunny. That's what he called Elmer Fudd all the time. And no one, under, no one read the Bible. They didn't know he was actually being sarcastic. He was calling Elmer Fudd, oh, you great hunter. And people thought it just meant idiot. So now people think Nimrod means idiot. It really doesn't. It means mighty hunter who opposed the Lord. Here says before, that actually probably means who opposed the Lord. So you have Ham who's gone down into Africa, then Shem in verse 21. It says, to Shem also were born the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, sons of Shem, etc. 25, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So the Hem's, Ham's descent, Shem's descendants went to the north and to the east. They became Arabs, they became Persians, they became Asians. It's important to catch here. You know, when I was in seminary, it, 
Richard Pratt, my Old Testament teacher, he, and I've told this to you before, he'd always say, don't skip the genealogies because there's stuff in there that's important. And whenever there's, there's a commentary in a genealogy, you need to like zero in on that. And so he's reading this genealogy of the, the, one of the sons of Eber from where you're going to get the Hebrews, this guy named Peleg, and it says, the name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And that's probably a reference to the division of nations at the Tower of Babel. And if you noticed, because I'm sure you, you were scouring the table of nations as I'm talking right now, that he's the same generation as Nimrod. So Nimrod probably is, is pushing the, the Tower of Babel, and in the days of Peleg, that's the days that it, everything divided. And so these are, the, this, these are the who of the nations that divided from the sons of Noah and what's important is that we, they, what it shows is that all of us, all of humanity, ultimately come from one family. That we all come from one family. In, in other words, when you get to the end of the Bible, where we're all sitting around the throne, worshiping God, for people from every tribe, tongue, and nations, we will also will be part of one family. So, the, so one family is going to divide into nations, and what the gospel is going to do is bring all those nations back together into one family. So that's the who of the table of nations, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the why is also important. Why were the nations divided? And we'll talk about that quickly. Um, most of you are familiar with the Tower of Babel. Samuel preached about it a while back. Learned a lot about ziggurats, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I've been giving him a hard time about that for a year. Um, so let me read to you part of that. Basically, um, in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So basically the, the story of the Tower of Babel revolves around two invitations. Okay, the first invitation in the Tower of Babel, I just read it to you. The first invitation is an invitation uh, from man to man against God. In, in other words, humanity is talking to each other, and, and they say, come let us do this thing in opposition to God. And you can tell from their invitation what their mindset was, the, the issues or it, that they were dealing with, or what the invitations testify to. And basically they're a testament to their insecurity, to their pride, and their, to their flagrant uh, disobedience. So look at verse 4. It says, Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. How do we know they're insecure? Because they want to build a city, like a big city, a walled city. And the reason you build cities in the ancient Near East is so that people can't attack you. Right? Inside the city is safe. Outside the city is not safe. So let us build a city where we'll be completely safe. So they have some level of, of insecurity, but also they have pride because they say, let's not just let's build a city, but let's build a city with a tower that reaches to heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. In, in other words, they, they want to make a name for themselves. And then the last thing is their flagrant disobedience. Because if you read in Genesis chapter 9, when God, when the ark landed and they were getting ready to get off, God came to Noah and he basically told them a couple things. He said, one... Don't think that I don't think that you're still not sinful. And in other words, that, that humanity is still broken and sinful. Noah, you're here because of grace. So sin is still a problem. 
but you also still have the same mandate. When you get off the ark, you and your family are to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And did you notice what they said at the Tower of Babel? Let us build this city with these walls so lest we be dispersed. In other words, let's build this city to do the exact opposite of what was commanded by Yahweh himself. Now, why is that? We get a hint because of the tower they built. Right, the tower that they built was that you know it would probably been like a wonder of the world, and and it was a ziggurat. And what ziggurats were is they were the dwelling places of gods. You see, in Sunday school, if you're a kid, you're often taught that, that they built the, the Tower of Babel. Why did they build the Tower of Babel? What was man trying to do? Reach God, right? That's not what was happening here. Certainly not if Nimrod was involved. What were they doing? They were, Nimrod was probably building this tower so that Nimrod could be put in, put in place as God. And one of the reason, ways we know that is because that's just what, what dictators did. But Nimrod eventually came to be identified with Marduk, who was the chief god of the Babylonians. And so they were building this tower not so they could reach the true god, and when they got there, they could worship him. They were building this, true, this tower so that Nimrod could be installed as their true god. And so everything they're doing is in flagrant disobedience to God. Now, much like me and whiskey, the same proportions, <laughs> this, this tower is so small compared to the, to the majesty and the glory of the true God, he has to come down to see it. Right? They're proud of what they're doing, and he's like, I better go, go down to see it. And so notice what it says. It says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose will now be impossible. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8. So they dispersed them from over the face of the earth and left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth. So what's the second invitation? You see, the first invitation was man to man against God. The second invitation is God to God against man. He says, come let us go down. He invites, he invites himself, if you will, come let us go down and confuse their language and disperse them. Because if they're all together, there's, there's no end to the mischief <laughs> they could create. And so that, what he does is he, he goes down and he disperses them. And apparently, fragmentation of, the, of peoples into nations was better than collective apostasy. In other words, to fragment the nations was a, was a better plan than to just let every, the humanity grow into one enormous thing with one tyrant. At least by fragmenting them into nations, it would be harder for them to oppose him. And also what God is doing here, by fragmenting the, the world into nations at this point, he's also making room for a new nation. And the new nation he's making a room for is Israel. You see, Israel's not mentioned in the table of nations. People, I'm amazed, and you're going to see in the coming weeks, I'm amazed at how much uh, hay people make about the nation of Israel and God's special people and this, this ethnic Jews. The, the fact is, is, they weren't even in the table of nations. It didn't exist yet that God ultimately was going to form Israel, his special nation, as a nation that was actually composed of other nations. It's going to blow you away. Trust me. 
also that nation that he, would, he was making room for would be the nation from whom would come the Messiah, who would be the Savior of who? Israel? Sure. He would be the Savior of the whole world. He would be the Savior of the nations. And that Messiah would come, and you know what he would do? He would start giving invitations. Come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come. You need rest, come unto me. You need help, come unto me. Are you guilty and broken because of your sins? Come. What does he say? The very last words of the Bible almost. The spirit and the bride say what? Spirit of the bride say, tough for you. No, the spirit and the bride say, come. All who are thirsty, drink from the river of life. Be satisfied. You see, what the gospel does is the gospel takes this family that was divided and begins to put it back together again. And it is a glorious and amazing thing to envision. Let me close with this story. One of you in this audience knows the story very intimately. Um, you know, when I, when I got out of high school, I joined the Army, and I entered a Ranger Battalion. And to be a Ranger, it's hard to explain um, the... I, do, I was at a ranger wedding last night. I do anything for those guys. They do anything for me. And you're just bound to these people for the rest of your life. I got out of the army. I went to college. I went to seminary. And then 1993, I remember coming out to eat breakfast one morning. And the, Judy had left the newspaper on the table. And I looked at the front page. And I just broke down. I just lost it. So on the front page of the paper was a huge picture of a dead army ranger being dragged through the streets of Somalia by Somalis. And I, was, I just was broken. I was wrecked by it. In other words, that was the episode Black Hawk Down, if you've ever seen that movie. I haven't. Um, if you've ever seen that movie, that's, that was the event. And from that moment on, frankly, after, I'm saying this by way of confession, I was suspicious of Somalis. I mean, just my heart. I didn't hate them. But I thought, how could I ever like them? Look what they did to my brothers. Now notice what I'm doing. I'm treating a whole nation of people <laughs> on the basis of what a few did. But it was true. Now, did God have different plans in store for Tommy Allen? He always does. What do you know? I would end up at a church and I would become friends with a member who joined who happened to be a pretty prominent Somali missionary, he and his wife. And they would be doing ministry to Somalis because the church I was at and the neighborhood I was at was a destination in the United States for Somali refugees. Come on! Eventually I went to Ethiopia and I met, I, 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 did a, I was with a medical team, I did a pastor's conference, I did meet a Somali radio broadcaster who we hit it off, he was a good guy. The next year I went back and I was asked to do a pastor's conference for Ethiopians and I was asked to do a pastor's conference for Somalis. One of them I accepted enthusiastically, and one of them I was like, hmm, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I'll be there, I guess so. And you can ask the missionary, we went to lunch to prepare at a Somali restaurant here, I don't think I ate, because I had to watch my six, right? I had my head on a swivel. I don't know what these people are going to do to me. Went to Ethiopia, taught the Ethiopian pastor's conference, and it was easy peasy, lemon squeezy. The Ethiopians were quiet and they were demure and they were respectful. 
They raised their hands to ask questions. Then I did the Somali conference the next day. The Somalis were rude. They were crude. They were socially unacceptable. And I thought, these are my people. (laughs) (laughs) These are my people. I'm rude and crude and socially unacceptable. I was so comfortable with it. I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is how rangers act. Every time I said something, they would interject and they would crack a joke and they would all laugh. They got a joke at my expense. Ha ha. I was preaching through, I was talking about Galatians. Remember where Peter gets called out on race issues, right? The joke was on them and the joke was on me. I'll be honest, my heart was changed in that time. And it was because I realized that these just weren't these people. They just weren't the, the Somalis who were somehow bad But they were humans created in the image of God. They were actually just like me. Their skin color happened to be different. They happened to speak a different language. And that someday I will be worshiping around the throne with all of them. And believe it or not, I look forward to that day now. If God can change me, (laughs) he can change you. If God can change Somalis, he can change you. God can change anybody. The reason for this division of nations ultimately was that he might bring us back together in and through the person of Jesus. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray um, for those of us in this room who maybe have certain prejudices toward uh, a racial group or prejudices toward some nationality or ethnicity, um, that you would begin to break that down, that you would, you would exercise your savage mercy and continue to put us in situations where we are forced to see the glory of your work and the glory of what you're doing as opposed to our fear and our sins and our guilt and our shame. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.